Disneyland announces its reopening. Josh Diamaro shares that the magic is returning. We talk about how many people are coming to the Disney parks when they reopen. We ask, can you be safe, smart, and agile as we look at Disney Resort Hotel Safety Services? Princess and the Frog? Well, there is a petition to change Splash Mountain. We'll talk about that and so many other pieces of news in this week's Disney News on Parade for the week of June 8th. Hi, this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to Disney at Play and Disney at Work, where we talk about news events happening throughout the Disney parks worldwide. So much to cover this week, so many things going on as Disney parks begin to open up. So be sure to not only listen to this podcast and subscribe, but also check out our notes page because there'll be lots of visuals, a lot of the facts, details, links, things of that nature are, are going to be available there. Let's start with the big news that Disneyland is going to be able to open on its 65th anniversary. I am so excited for this. I think in some ways I am more excited about Disneyland's announcement of its reopening than Walt Disney World. Uh, here is Disney's announcement. <clears throat> it will uh, provide a play-by-play -play commentary as, uh, as we go through it. Quote, Disney Parks Experiences and Products today announced proposed plans for a phased reopening of the Disneyland Resort. Pending state and local government approvals, Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spa and Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel plans to reopen on July 23rd. And Disneyland Park and Disney California Adventure Park will plan to reopen on July 17th. Additionally, Downtown Disney District will begin reopening on July 9th. Now, just stop there and let me just say a couple of things there. If you're not familiar, July 17th is Disneyland's anniversary and this year it is turning 65 years old. Just amazing. And what a special thing that it could happen on this uh, on this day. I knew and we have talked in previous podcasts that we thought that it would happen around mid-July in time for this anniversary and here it is happening. Note also, by the way, that um, they announced uh, Downtown Disney opening a few days, well, about a week prior um, to the both parks opening, and that they also announced the Grand Californian and the Paradise Pier opening. What they didn't announce, this was interesting, that the Disneyland Hotel would not be yet opening. They have not given a date so far as to when that will occur. Continuing on, because theme park capacity will be significantly limited to comply with governmental requirements and promote social distancing, the Disneyland Resort will manage attendance through a new theme park reservation system that will require all guests, including annual pass holders, to obtain a reservation for park entry in advance. Theme park reservations will be subject to availability. More details on this new reservation system will be available soon. At this time, there will be a temporary pause on new ticket sales and annual passport sales and renewals. Additional details will be available soon. Go ahead and check Disneyland.com for the most current information. This is very similar to what is happening at Walt Disney World. 
Uh, they want to make sure that there is just not this huge throng of people. You know, Disneyland put this in play when they uh, opened uh, this, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. They did it for a single land. And I have to say they managed that system uh, in a pretty uh, amazing way, a pretty effective manner that was orderly, that was uniform, and that was fair, pretty fair, um, all things considered. Um, at least if you wanted to be there in the first month, you, you had the option of at least getting a room which guaranteed you uh, entry. Not sure that they are guaranteeing entry by being at the hotels, but maybe that's why the Disneyland Hotel isn't opening. Is they're thinking if we open the other two hotels, we can more fully guarantee um, that those staying there will be able to enter one of the two parks. Nothing mentioned about park hopping, which is so much easier at um, the Disneyland Resort because the parks are just across from each other. So clearly a lot more here. Um, then it goes on a little later to say, as one of the first major theme parks to close their operations and the last to reopen, which is, by the way, an interesting thing because they haven't announced Hong Kong or Paris, but we think that that will be sooner than later. We have been deliberate about keeping the health and safety of our cast guests and local communities top of mind, said Disney Parks Experiences and Products Chairman Josh Diamaro. And as we look forward to bringing our cast members back to work and welcoming you back as cherished guests, we know it will take all of us working together to recapture the magic. Uh, certain experiences that draw large group gatherings, such as parades and nighttime spectaculars, will return at a later date, while character meet and greets will temporarily be unavailable. Characters will be in the parks in new ways to entertain and delight guests. I have an idea for how to do that in both parks. We'll talk about that much later on. Um, pending government approval, Disney's Grand California Hotel, Spa Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel, and Disney Vacation Club Villas at Disney's Grand California Hotel and Spa. Our plan to reopen to guests and members starting on July 23rd. Um, they will, we'll talk about those protocols in a few minutes. Um, Downtown Disney District will be reopening on July 9th in line with state reopening guidelines um, with its unique variety of shopping and dining experiences. Um, and it talks about uh, what they'll be doing similar to what they're doing at Disney Springs. They do, it does not sound like it will be an incremental opening like it has been at Disney Springs. They don't say some will be available on some dates and others later on. They don't say that, so you sense that maybe all of it will open at one time. Additional information will be shared, of course. Um, any rate, it's, it's great news. It is uh, fantastic. And um, I really thought, as I had mentioned in previous podcasts, that they were, going, they were wanting to time Walt Disney World's opening, very strategic, to Disneyland's opening. So they're really within a couple of days. There's no big political football being thrown back and forth. Conservative Florida and liberal Democrat California and, oh, you know, one's safer than the other and why not the other and all that. All that is, is being gone. In its place came this letter from Josh Diomaro. And uh, you know that recently, if you have not heard my podcast where I had a short chat with Josh, uh, I have very positive things to say about the potential of his leadership 
in guiding this. He sent out a letter to everyone. Um, I just want to share it and, and add to a little bit of this. With the announcement of the proposed reopening dates for Disneyland Resort, we are one more exciting step closer to reopening all of our Disney parks and experiences around the world. Throughout the past few weeks, we have reopened Shanghai Disneyland, Disney Springs, and several Disney stores, and set dates for both Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resorts, with more announcements coming soon. I think we will see those announcements within the next week, at least for um, Hong Kong and Paris. Tokyo, of course, is owned by the Oriental Land Company. They make their own decision, but Universal in uh, Japan has already reopened, I believe. And, uh, and so it shouldn't be too much further for them as well. Um, and they do work with Disney in tandem to help kind of plan all this out, but it is ultimately, um, OLC's, uh, decision. Again, going back to the earlier statement, um, saying as one of the first major theme parks, i.e. Disneyland to close their operations and the last to reopen, it could well be that Disneyland is truly the last reopen on the 17th. So um, all that is good. Anyway, he goes on to say, we are purposefully taking baby steps during this very intentional phased approach. We're going to talk about those baby steps, that intentional phased approach um, a little later. As one of the first major theme parks to close their operations, unless uh, we've um, kind of said that a lot of this is redo of the Disneyland comment. Um, while certain aspects of your visit may change, I assure you the quality of our storytelling, magic of our experiences, and the caliber of our cast members has not. We recognize the trust that you have put in the Disney brand, and we will continue to earn your trust every day. To me, and a quote there, to me, this is almost a very subtle way of saying, to those of you who think we're slow in opening, let me tell you, we're doing everything in the most deliberate, intentional way to reopen in the best way possible. Again, more to talk about that in a few minutes. But I think this is really very interesting that this has been stated. He goes on to say, my confidence comes in part from the, all of the hard work our teams have been doing behind the scenes in the past few months as well as by the early successes we have seen at Shanghai Disneyland, the first of our theme parks to reopen. Guest satisfaction has been uh, extremely high, and we will continue to make sure that as we bring back experiences, our attention to promoting your safety, maintaining your trust, and providing unique ways for you to come together with family and friends to create new memories remains high as well. Walt Disney once said, it takes people to make the dream a reality. And as we prepare ourselves to reopen his original park, I want you to know how eternally grateful I am for all of you who have made Disney parks, stores, hotels, cruise lines, guided tours, and vacation properties part of your lives, as well as for the cast members, crew members, Imagineers, and employees who have brought them to life for the past 65 years. I know this has been a difficult year due to the impacts of COVID-19, but I can't help but feel a great sense of hope and optimism. And like many of you, I look forward to hearing the laughter and seeing the joy of families making memories together. And I can't wait to see you. 
when the magic returns to all of our parks and resorts. Be well, Josh. Great letter, great tone, great optimism and hope, great reassurance, uh, a sense of intentionality. So much of this resonates with me. I love it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a few challenges here um, as we move forward, but I think this really sets the tone. And frankly, this coupled with the announcement of Disneyland has just made my day um, incredibly special when I, I read these headlines. And uh, I hope you are, are getting excited too to see the Disney parks eventually reopen. Now, how many will come to the parks? So I found this little article which talks about UBS. Now, UBS is a Swiss investment firm. And these investment firms like to talk about um, whether Disney, you know, I get these motley uh, uh, articles and I get other, I mean, if you remember just a month and a half ago, there was one investor who's saying, Disney parks aren't even going to reopen until 2021. And here it is, they're all, I knew that wasn't the case, but they said, and, and let me tell you that headline went to every other carrier, went, it went viral all over, and yet the information was so wrong in the article. So I, I'm a little anxious when I read any of these investment articles because I really don't think they know they're Disney. But this one was an interesting one because they've employed a fancy tool called the UBS Evidence Lab that analyzed satellite imagery of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, concluding that, quote, current guidelines will limit capacity to about 40% of average attendance or 25% of peak attendance. He also said the mix at first would likely tilt toward lower spending season pass holders and in-state visitors at a park that is mostly a destination for travelers, end of quote. Well, I can tell you already they're wrong on that. The first people coming back to the resort are DVC folks. And let me tell you, nobody spends as beautifully as a DVC member. They, um, they know how to spend. And I don't think that this is, this is and in-state visitors, if they don't have a reservation or if they're not an annual pass holder, um, they're not entering. Now, I will say annual pass holders don't spend as much per visit. But I would also say that as an annual pass holder, I'm ready to spend. I'm ready to, I'm ready to, ready to give generously as I come in because I'm so excited to return. I think that's uh, the. I think I'm reflecting a lot of annual pass holders. So this goes on a little further. Let's study those numbers a little more deeply. The Magic Kingdom sees over 20 million people a year, uh, as of last year. Now, if you average that number out, 365 days, then you get about 56,000 people a day on average going through the Magic Kingdom. They have said that 40% of the average attendance um, would bring the numbers uh, down to about 25,000. It's about 22,400. That's fairly close. I'm, I'll give them on that. Um, so you think, okay, what is that like to have 22,400? Average days in the Magic Kingdom are simply busy days. 55,000 or 56,000 a day is a lot of people in the park. And that is typically what you see when you go to the Magic Kingdom. 
but 22,000, man, that's, that's a real, that is a much lower number. Um, the other three parks see annual numbers um, much lower than that. Um, and they're in terms of their annual park numbers. Um, because it's smaller, the studios, of course, have to go with something more akin. If if Disney if Magic Kingdom was going with twenty two thousand four hundred, I'd say they're going to go with about fifteen thousand at best a day starting out. Now Disney's Animal Kingdom is huge. It's much bigger than Magic Kingdom, but the pedestrian space, both indoors and outdoors, is still pretty equivalent in my view to the Magic Kingdom. So I think it's about the same number as that twenty two thousand four hundred number. But in the case of Epcot. There's square footage for spreading the guests out, even with all the construction fences that were in play before we closed, is still way much higher than the Magic Kingdom. Therefore, I could guess about 25 to 28,000 a day. So let's just add those four numbers up. At reduced capacity, in other words, 40% of their average attendance you could still be seeing about 85,000 a day among all four parks. Now, again, 85,000, that sounds like a big number, but when you bring it on down to four parks and each of those numbers, that's really, a, those are very doable numbers. And if you've seen the Universal Parks on the first day or two with the annual pass holder previews, it was, it was kind of up there. And, uh, uh, for the preview whole, uh, days, but after that, it got kind of quiet. So I'm not too worried about the masses converging in too big a number. Certainly, if the capacity is the issue, uh, Disney ought to be considering opening its water parks, which, you know, Universal and SeaWorld has opened their uh, water parks. And honestly, I think guests are going to covet the water parks once they get here with their face masks to experience the heat and humidity. Um, uh, we've covered that. Uh, we're covering that this week and next as we talk about what we love most about Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach. So check that out on Disney at Play. It, it just makes you wonder, why aren't we opening these water parks? Um, my only guess is, is that from a business point of view, they don't see the numbers uh, requiring it. I think within those numbers, even though 85,000 sounds like a lot, uh, is a lot of people, I think they're going to be well within those numbers getting out of the first few weeks. I Maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe they'll be turning away annual pass holders and the masses every, uh, the first few days or weeks. But I think at, at least after the first couple of days, it's going to be pretty manageable and most people are going to be able to start getting into the parks. Now, I want to come to the topic of the evening that, uh, and I want to bring some other uh, news uh, in and about this. Um, and the question I'm asking is, can Disney or can anyone for that matter be safe, smart, intentional, strategic, and at the same time, be agile. Now, what is agility? In, in the business world, the best way to thrive in the midst, in the midst of uh, disruption is to be the one 
to cause that disruption. The second best way to be agile enough is to anticipate and respond effectively to change when it occurs. This is a huge need for everyone during this pandemic, is learning to be agile during this situation. Agility is not some popular software development process. Being agile is much more in the workplace. It's about optimizing your results. It's about, um, it's about be, uh, thriving in turbulent times and getting an agile workforce with the critical thinking skills that take action and move things as things needed to be as, as things need to be moved. Why am I mentioning all this? Some bloggers and podcasters, and I listen to quite a few, and I find many of them very good. And but some bloggers and podcasters have stated, you know, Disney has been really professional. They've been strategic. They're not putting profits first, uh, but truly putting the safety of its guests first as they reopen the parks. And frankly, I, I totally agree with that. Um, but there are some bloggers and podcasters who have felt like, I don't know, Disney is too slow getting out of the gate. Here is Universal, here is SeaWorld, and Disney's still another month away. Yes, Disney's a much bigger machine, but, but that's part of the bureaucracy is being agile. Even though you're a much bigger entity, how do you become more agile uh, in this scenario? So let me give you an example of agility. Um, and I think this is a, a great uh, example. I don't know if you recall the summer of 2014. Um, that is the time when Universal's uh, Orlando opened up Diagon's Alley. This was a big expansion. It had a big major attraction and ride. And what did Disney have that summer at Walt Disney World? Yeah, not much, if anything. The only thing, they had other things coming down the pike, but they didn't have anything for the summer of 2014. The only thing they really had was a powerfully successful film in 2013. So as summer got underway, as summer was coming, coming, um, coming in, I um, and I want to give George Calagritas the... Uh, the credit as I've understood this experience. Walt Disney World, get, the executive team gathered together and said, what are we going to do in two weeks time to, to address the competition down the street and come out of the gate with something um, that is strong um, when we don't have any capital dollars uh, to put on it? And what they came up with was something called Frozen Summer Fun. And I remember this. This was like, it was announced one day and it opened up the next. And I was blown away how all of a sudden banners and, uh, and decorations had come up in Disney's Hollywood Studios when I had only been there like a day or two prior and nothing, nothing was known about this. Nothing was heard about this. This thing, this thing came on the fly in a heartbeat. And it had some things, I don't remember, everybody got a, a Olaf on the stick kind of thing, snowman, and Olaf was around and Olaf was making announcements and there was music playing throughout the park. And then they had Anna and Elsa's Royal Welcome, which was, they couldn't call it a parade because it was so short, 
but they they took out a Christmas float and they repainted it and they got they went over to um, uh, and got a, a sleigh uh, that they used at, uh, during the holidays and had the horses pulled in and they just they took all these pieces they put they put uh, skis on top of the roller skates and had these skiers coming down they created this Anna and Elsa's royal welcome they took what is now the the newer section of Toy Story Mania, and they added Wandering Oaken's Trading Post and Frozen Funland. I don't know if you remember this. I know this thing came fast because no, no Disney lawyer would have approved this. This had ice skating going on inside, plus snow where you could build a snowman, and um, and it was wonderful because it was indoors and very cold, and uh, and so you went into this little corner of the studios and you had this uh, frozen fun land. They had a frozen fireworks that they pulled out overnight. They had the coolest summer ever dance party in the evening. Okay, go get the DJ and, you know, have them spin something there. And then the and then this thing, which was so good, it has lasted since then. For the first time in forever, a frozen sing-along celebration, which was actually on the back lot in the theater back there. I remember seeing the first show. And in fact, George Calagrias was there in the audience for that first show. Um, and that show was a hit. How they pulled that show together in nothing flat is nothing short of amazing. It was so good and it continues to be so good. I don't know if it's going to show up uh, in a couple of weeks because I think singing along with everybody in a, in a theater is not the best for... COVID-19 protection, but but all of that plus more frozen Olaf cupcakes than you could possibly imagine. That thing, for a fraction of what Diagon Alley pulled in a ton of people. Though That park was crowded. Annual guest pass holders, vacationers, people came in from everywhere to be a part of that. And it was so good. They actually did that for a second uh, year. And then the third year, they were able to bring in finally the the Frozen attraction into Epcot. Um, but the Frozen sing-along celebration is still there. This, why am I talking about Frozen? This is a great example of agility. Looking at a problem saying, what are we gonna do to make things happen? And this is what I think is Disney's truest opportunity, yes. Now, what's an example of being safe, smart, and strategic? This week, Katie Kelly, Vice President of Worldwide Safety Services, announced procedures for keeping the resorts and rooms COVID-free, that's my term, as the Disney uh, Resort Hotels open. That includes options in check-in service at select locations and meeting your bell services cast member and luggage at your room, Re uh, increasing cleaning in high traffic areas such as elevators and escalators and restrooms, expanding the number of hand sanitizer locations, adjusting services and adding preventive measures at Disney's restaurants, lobbies, pools, fitness centers, and other public areas, um, using technology to limit contact with shopping and dining locations with mobile order, cashless options, and magic bins. I have all this listed out in the post, so go refer to it if you'd like. This is Disney being very smart, being very strategic, being very intentional, laying things out carefully, getting it right. You see the graphic uh, that we show on the text page and there's a video that's with it. 
And, and they have really done a great job saying, how are we going to maintain these rooms? How are we going to assure guests that they are going to have a room that is, that is essentially COVID-free without saying the word COVID-free, the phrase COVID-free? They do that really well. My concern is, is I think there's a part of me that just is looking at this play out and maybe I'm missing some pieces. I just feel like I'm missing some of the agility. And I just feel like I, as, as Disney reopens, I want to see something spontaneous, something magical come out of nowhere that surprises and delights the guests. Not just the reassurance that, okay, it's all right. Yeah, I'm having to wash my hands a lot of time and wear my mask, but it's okay. I want to be surprised and delighted by Disney. And I think this is Disney's opportunity to practice that same kind of agility that they did so masterfully uh, with with something like uh, uh, the Frozen uh, summer event. So where does this take us? I'm now going to go into an opportunity, I think, for being agile. There is a petition on change.org and right before recording, there had been 13,000 signatures that had been added to a proposal of changing out Splash Mountain into an attraction based on Disney's Princess and the Frog. Now, 12,000 isn't small chump change by no, or 13,000 isn't small chump change by any means. I'm sure that number is going to increase in the days to come. Uh, I will say, I think you really need something closer to a million before you get Disney's attention on this. Other people have done petitions and yeah, Disney doesn't pay attention to that really at those numbers. Um, should this occur? Let me talk about that first. Um, I think it's a great idea and I don't think it'll ever happen or I don't think it'll happen anytime soon, but I think it's a great idea. And I'll talk about why I think it's a great idea in a moment. However, I think this is missing the point. You gotta focus on something really important. Uh, Disney needs to be even more than their generous donation um, to causes like uh, the, the focus on minorities. Uh, there are big issues within Disney. And I mind you, I've known they've, they focus on diversity. They are number one on diversity rankings as a corporation. They have done very, very well. At the same time, if I were to focus on improving Disney's focus on diversity, I wouldn't be aiming my sights on Splash Mountain. I would be aiming at the senior executive leadership team. I was surprised to see Bob Chapek named and that the board had not prepared a more diverse slate of executives to choose from. Now, that said, I think that Bob Chapek is doing a fine job. And I think the other people on the team are doing a fine job. But at some point, when is a woman really going to start running the Walt Disney Company? Why isn't that happening? And why aren't other individuals of different races and, and different backgrounds and experiences at the helm? There, there needs to be more of that. So I kind of see the Splash Mountain thing as pretty minor to the bigger issue. But let's talk about this. 
I think it's a great idea. And by the way, I have no problem with Song of the South. But then again, I'm a middle-aged white guy. So I don't quite see it. I think I see it kind of the way Walt Disney saw the movie. If you know the movie, and I'm probably the last generation that actually saw the movie in the theater growing up. I didn't care for the movie element. I cared for the animation element. The animation was superbly drawn. The, the, the animation, particularly of the three major characters of the um, Br'er Bear, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, they are all very impressive. And so it's disappointing that um, uh, that isn't uh, that we, we don't get to see that. Uh, the message of the film that I took from it when I saw it as a younger person is that being rich doesn't make you happy. The father and mother were very unhappy with each other. Its effects played out on the children who sought refuge with Uncle Remus, who, despite his um, impoverished conditions, had a great attitude about life and taught to these wealthy children uh, some important lessons about attitude and uh, finding your laughing place and of being happier in life. Um, now, some critics have looked at that film and said, oh, they're just telling you that you should be happy as a black um impoverished worker, farm worker on a plantation. By the way, this the film takes place after slavery had been disbanded, but for all intents and purposes, he might as well have been a slave, but he's, you know, he's kind of stuck on the plantation is the kind of the inference here. But, and so I get that perspective and all of that and, and more. So I, so I, I saw the movie differently, but I could see how others see it differently as well. All that said and done, I think it ought to change. And I think it's a great idea that it should change. I don't think it'll happen. Uh, not when, uh, not at this time, not when Disney is having to go through and make big cuts to its, its, uh, its budgets. To make a change like that to Splash Mountain would be at least a $50 million investment. Maybe much higher than that. Um, Already Disney's having to make hard budget choices. Um, I think Mary Poppins, which I would love to see, and by the way, of all the films that have been long overdue for an attraction, that one deserves to be at the top of the list. But I think that's been cut probably, is my guess. Uh, you've got three cruise ships at a billion apiece. My guess is even if they're not uh, cut, they are... Um, at least one will be put off indefinitely, or certainly they're not going to come three in a row over three years. They're going to be stretched much further. So, so they're having to make hard budget cuts. But on the other hand, if they did have money, the reason I think that this would be a really good idea is because Splash Mountain is kind of caught in a dilemma. Great attractions to stay great have to continually be plussed. They have to be bumped up to stay as great attractions. So when we go to the Haunted Mansion, we see little touches done. 
uh, to Ed. Or we change out the lady in red to be a little bit more, but okay, politically correct if that's what you want to call it. But, but those little touches are added, or adding Jack Sparrow or adding a new holiday overlay to the Jungle Cruise. Most attractions get little pluses over the years. This one doesn't. I think they have determined that there is a somewhat of a controversy, so they don't want to add more attention to it, but they have to keep it going. And so I think it's just kind of caught in this dilemma. I could see so much potential with Facilier and with the Bayou and all this. Um, I just see, you know, to keep the, keep the steamboat at the end and... Uh, I just see some really great scenes playing out with the princess and the frog using this uh, flume vehicle experience. But I, I don't see that happening. Not soon, at least. Now, my topic here is on agility. So I do think Disney needs to address the fact that there needs to be a lot more Princess in the Frog. It got the bad end of the deal. I thought it was a beautifully done cartoon. It came only a couple of days be, before Avatar came out, so it was just lost in the wash, box office-wise. But that is, and, and then, for that reason, we really haven't seen another hand-drawn animation film since. But, oh my gosh, it was a great film. Um, it was a great thing to see. So, in the spirit of agility, what needs to happen is Disney needs to come out the gate with something uh, at this time, especially um, with the entire Black Lives Matter movement. I could see some really special magical touches coming out. For instance, when the film first came out, I don't know how many of you saw Tiana's showboat Jubilee at the Magic Kingdom. They, it happened on the riverboat. They brought it out to the bridge area and they did this big show on the boat. And it was a great show. Didn't stay very long, probably three, four months. I think you need to roll that boat out. And by the way, how perfect, because now you don't have to do a, a Tiana meet and greet. You could take pictures of Tiana on the boat. You could take your dancers, which you ain't gonna have parades. So dancers sign up for, for this show and, and cast some people there. And you could do the same thing on the Mark Twain at Disneyland. And boy, wouldn't that look great uh, as it rounds the corner at New Orleans Square. That's, that's agility. Come out and surprise me on, day, on opening day with Tiana's Showboat Jubilee and bring it back to the park. Or do something like take Scat Cats Club at Port Orleans and just retheme it as maybe Lewis and Ray's Cabaret. Um, they do have a princess restaurant coming, Princess Tiana restaurant coming to the new uh, DVC resort being planned. Don't know if that's the best location, give the theme. I'm glad that they're doing that. But again, in the sense of agility, you already have a restaurant there. Why aren't you using that restaurant? Reutilizing their, that was by the way, not just a, uh, a bar, but the former Bonfumier uh, that was there originally is still there. Un open that up and use that as a Princess and the Frog location. That again would be agility. Um, if interest is real and growing, if people are clamoring for those kinds of things, then you know what? Your next step is not redoing Splash Mountain at 50 plus million. 
go redo Fantasmic at Disney's Hollywood Studios with putting the princess and the frog being added in some capacity. Right now, I, I've never, the Pocahontas thing has never quite worked. So, hey, there's a scene. Facilia is one of the villains in Fantasmic. Oh, that would be fantastic. Or Fantasmic, I should say. So there's the next tier of doing something in the interim. And then if that interest continues, I would put, I would replace the Splash Mountain in New Orleans Square with a Princess and Frog overlay and then just rename Critter Country as Port Orleans Riverside. Um, you could even maybe add the Country Bear Jamboree back in and take out Winnie the Pooh, but that's maybe going a bit too far. I'd maybe leave the Magic Kingdom as Splash Mountain and then remember, you know, Tower of Terror exists here at Walt Disney World, but they put in Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Guests like to have that variety. And so keep one here and put one in the other where it really fits. The problem with it here in Splash Mountain in Frontierland is you're really moving toward the west, in fact, the southwest. And so the, going in this direction of Princess of the Frog just doesn't even make sense thematically. Uh, but it would make all the sense in the world. Um, hey, you know, call it Port Orleans Riverside over at Disneyland <laughs> as you as you retheme it over there. Uh, it sounds like a familiar name, but uh, but this is agility, and I'm hoping that as Disney reopens, that we see something spontaneous, fun, and magical. Oh, by the way, if it could play off the theme of Princess and the Frog. I think that would be fantastic. And and so why not? Why not do that? Um, now, having said all of this and thinking this is a great idea for attraction, I just want to send a little reminder. If you think signing this petition makes you feel like you've done your share to make Black Lives Matter, then I would suggest you dig a little deeper. We all need to do much much more individually in our communities and at home than focusing on what kind of ride Disney should rebuild. If you haven't, I strongly encourage you to visit my post earlier this week, my post and podcast called Your American Adventure. It really gets to the heart of some of these issues. Also, I did another post and podcast called Without Empathy, It's a Jungle Out There using some stories, some experiences I had at Disney's Animal Kingdom, I, I, I recommend you check that out. And as you listen to those, think about ways you could act locally while you're still thinking globally. Enough of those things. I, I think Disney's on a great, great uh, move forward, um, but I, I'm just looking for a little bit more agility and a, a little bit more Princess and the Frog moving out. In other news, SeaWorld opened its doors today in Orlando, Florida. The response seems pretty strong. They seem to be doing a lot of good things to get out the gate, and I'm thrilled that employees are able to go back to work there. So very positive. The Swan and Dolphin Hotels is accepting reservations for visits starting July 29th. All that is really good news. Um, June 17th, Chef Art Smith's homecoming will open at Disney Springs. Meanwhile, this week, a lot of stores have opened to include Disney Pin Traders, Ever After Jewelry Company, Candy Cauldron, Goofy's Candy Company. Yes, we are after a caramel apple. 
Disney style, Raglan Road, Irish Pub and Shop, Disney Days of Christmas, Star Wars Trading Post, Marvel Superhero Headquarters, and my favorite, Art of Disney, which, man, it seems like ages ago. If you recall, my first podcast on this pandemic stemmed around a conversation I had with two cast members at Art of Disney when I shared with them sudden news that all of Disney Springs was going to close, followed not long thereafter, a day or two later, by all of Walt Disney World closing. That seems so long ago. Um, USA Today noted that the Disney Cruise Line, which extended its sailing suspension through July 27th last month, has added more cancellations to its list, including sailings that actually go as far ahead as October. Departures from Europe are suspended through October 2nd, which I don't know if they even have any after that date. Um, that's according to their website. Departures from Canada are suspended through September 14th, while um, Disney Dream and Fantasy departures still remain suspended through July 27th. So uh, the very last days of July are the very soonest we're going to see any ship uh, resume sailing and probably much longer before we see it uh, with the wonder and the magic. Wow. Well, we've covered a lot during this time frame. Make sure you subscribe as we've got so much more to come in the days ahead to include our 100th podcast. Uh, I'm preparing a special and very personal show that I'll present for that occasion. So please Please join us for that. Please, uh, please go to iTunes if you can and share a positive rating and maybe a, uh, a good review for us. Make sure you go out to J. Jeff Cobra on our YouTube. Subscribe on that channel. And just uh, please hang there with us. I am so thrilled. Uh, we have, in the last two months, we have grown the number of folks uh, listening to our podcast to over 50% in just two months. That means now that there are three people watching, listening to our podcast instead of two. So, <laughs> but, but Hey, I'm just, I'm really glad. Thank you for listening. If you haven't listened to some of these back shows, we've named a few here. Um, make sure you check out those too. And finally, in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, which is one of those back in the back episode 37. Hey, please, please always remember, in good times or bad, follow the compass of your heart. Thanks so much, everyone. See you real soon.